Well, we're amazed at what you've decided to send to Ukraine. You know, praise God. I, I, the God is working. And uh, it's been such a such a amazing time. You know, when God when God allows these things to come, we, we just see his hand over and over again. And uh, um, we're going to just give a couple updates by video, and then we'll, we'll, let, we'll open it up for questions. But uh, as of uh, just before the service, uh, all of our people are safe up to the moment. Uh, nobody's been injured, and uh, uh, we're, we're, we're grateful for that. And uh, what, it, what it looks like is that uh, a, a lot of our people that have young children especially are, gonna tr- are trying to get uh, their wives and children out of the most dangerous area, get them to the west of Ukraine or even, even across the border. And uh, um, they need prayer. That's not easy right now. It's not easy to get out of the war zone area. Uh, there's just tremendous... Uh, uh, bombs going off, and and uh, it's hard to get gas, and there's just masses of people clogging up the highways. There's a lot of checkpoints, and so we just pray that you would you would uh, that they would be able to make the journeys, and 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 the men, you know, so far every one of them is planning to come back to where their home area is, and and uh, and to defend it. And uh, uh, God is God's going to use them in an amazing way. And uh, we're, we're thrilled with that. And uh, um, our, when we have a question time, there's a, there's a couple questions maybe I'll answer now that, that uh, come up as, as this thing has unfolded. And uh, one question is, you know, when we've been wiring money at a furious pace. And uh, um, the question has come up, like, how do you... How do you know that you know the Russians won't get it? Aren't you afraid? That was the, the person who asked me this first. Put it that way. Aren't you afraid that uh, the Russians will get it or the mafia will get it, and and it won't won't get to its destination? And and really, I, I said I am. You know, you don't you don't know. That's that's always been a, a country where that that had a, a lot of corruption and a lot of uh, criminal activity and now you know there's a possibility that Russia might come in and control banks and all that and and that is a possibility and and so yeah I, I'm afraid of that but I'm much much more afraid of doing nothing you know if we do nothing just paralyzed by fear I think we'll regret it now, we've taken precautions, and our main precaution is that we're only sending about $2,000 at a time. And when our church planter gets it, then we send another two. And that way, if the wrong hands get it, at least we'll, we'll minimize our losses. So pray that our folks would keep getting the funds. Uh, they certainly need them. And uh, just pray that that channel would stay open. Uh, it may close. And when it does, we do have means by which we can get money to these people without the banks. And I'll probably share that with your pastor. He might share it with your deacons that, that uh, just because we've built so many buildings over there and people don't like to use banks there, that, you know, it, it's, it's amazing how God, I know that God is going to use some of these things that we developed in the past at, at, this, at, at a time like this. And the other, the other question that somebody uh, 
uh, might ask is, uh, uh, well, you've answered a big part of it today, but, but somebody asked me, like, uh, you're sending all this money out, but you, you, don't, you can't cover it with the money that's come in. <laughs> and, uh, uh, well, I, I, don't, I think what I said was that this, isn't, that this is not a time to count beans. You know? and, and really, in a mission organization, you do have to be careful with that. A mission organization like ours uh, is not a church. A church is, the, the government regulations are a lot more lenient on a church, but a public nonprofit like we are, there's amazing re- re- regulations, and we have to have an annual audit, and it, it's hard. <laughs> they'll be in, they'll park in your building for two or three days, and, and pretty soon they, they're counting paper clips, and how to do things, and how to account for, and how to, how to log in, and, and how to uh, provide accountability for every dollar. You know, it's it keeps uh, our ladies in our office, and we have volunteers that help us with this too. Very, very busy. And uh, like for example, tomorrow morning, uh, our ladies are going to start start wiring. Now, if if they did all the bookwork and all the accounting first, and then wired the money, it wouldn't get done tomorrow. So, so we're we're not going to worry about that. We'll do that later, and uh, we really we just know that God is going to God is going to provide. He knows the need, and and He has always provided for His people. We we ha- we serve a, a great God. So thank you so much that you have you have sacrificed and and are willing to send those funds to Ukraine. And don't you call this sacrificial? Is this your sacrificial? Yeah, well, it's, it's amazing. It, to me, it looks like a huge sacrifice that you've made. And, and from the bottom of our hearts, uh, we thank you. And uh, we'll show a couple of videos now, then we'll open it for questions, and, and uh, we'll do our best to answer them. And the first video is from uh, Vitaly Biliak. And he uh, showed up at our Bible school, at our seminary in Kiev. And uh, when my dad found out, he was from Ternopil. My dad was born in a village just a, a short distance from Ternopil. My dad's eyes lit up. <laughs> and he started to talk to Vitali about when he got done with his studies to go and plant a church in that area. And uh, it, it was quite amazing that my dad really didn't have to convince him that much. Because when Vitali uh, was, uh, they all uh, they have compulsory military duty, and when he did his military duty for two years, he was uh, stationed in Ternopil, and he comes from a wonderful Christian family in the next region over where there's a lot of churches, and Ternopil just doesn't have any. They just don't. They're they're very religious, but it's all Orthodox and Greek Catholic, and so he uh, on his uh, day off in the military, he he tried to find a church. He couldn't. The second Sunday, he tried again. He just couldn't find a church. And they just weren't there. And so by the time he finished his military service, he knew where there was a need. He knew where there was a mission field. And so he landed there in uh, Chernobyl. And uh, he, he was so committed, nobody wanted to go with him except his wife. <laughs> good, good thing she went. <laughs> but he, he, didn't, he didn't have anybody. Usually a church planner starts with some help. He had zero and he ended up as a large city of 250,000 people. It, it is a, a college and university town. They have like 50,000 college and university students. 
And uh, like a lot of our church planters, he started with a children's ministry. They target an area, they hand out brochures, they have some children's clubs, they give out prizes. They, they develop ways to attract children, and they love children, they work with children. A lot of them are young, they have kids too. And they get a, a children's club going, club going and they, they reward them with good attendance by sending them to camp, and they meet the parents. And uh, they lead parents to the Lord eventually, and then there's a Bible study, and that Bible study turns into... Uh, eventually turns into church. We've seen that over and over and over again. Uh, but Vitali and his wife went out there and they passed out hundreds of flyers. They get to the first children's meeting, guess what? Nobody there. <laughs> Nobody there. And it happened again. But then gradually started coming and the church was established. He's always, always had a focus and a heart for inner city ministry. So he didn't want to minister in the suburbs. He wanted to be right in the heart of the city where you had a lot of problems. And uh, as they started, they had a rent. That was hard because they would uh, they'd fix up a building that they could rent for church. And then the owners thought, oh, you know, this looks pretty good. I should be able to get more rent for this. And, and they'd uh, really, really increase the rent to where they couldn't afford it. Then they move. Every time they moved, they would uh, lose a bunch of people. And so we began to pray about uh, getting them into a building. It would not be realistic for us anyway to uh, purchase or build a building in the inner city, uh, a standalone building. It would probably cost millions because you're like in a, in a downtown area. But we were able to get an amazing deal to purchase a large apartment building, to purchase the first floor in the basement. A lot of room. He's got maybe four or 5,000 square feet. And uh, we're able to get them in that building. They, they made it look like a church. It's really beautiful. And they got this huge basement. And now all these neighbors in all five floors are coming down and hearing the gospel when there's air raid sirens. And so uh, God has really used this young man. And uh, his, his daughter uh, was recently married. And, sh and she married a fellow who's really dedicated to the Lord. God placed the, on their hearts... They've always been focusing on ministry, but just recently they made a decision. They told their dad, the dad told me, that they think God wants them to plant the church in Kiev. Well, <laughs> we're glad that God called them to do that. And let's pray that eventually they would be able to. But, uh, you know, right now, you know, Kiev, Kiev is really being attacked. But uh, let's, 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 let's watch this first video, and that is Vitaly Bilyak in Ternopil. Greetings, friends, brothers and sisters, workers of BIEM. My name is Vitaly Bilyak from Chernobyl in Ukraine. This is the third day of the war. While I was making my second attempt for this recording, I got a phone call from three people 
who needed a place to stay. They were refugees, and we have no more room for any more. In our church, we have already accepted more than 40 people, and practically all will be sleeping on the floor. And we're also putting some people to sleep in the church auditorium. So the church is serving these refugees. Besides giving them a place to sleep, our brothers and sisters are bringing food to feed these people. Most of these people are heading west towards Europe, towards Hungary and Poland. Some have decided to stay in Ternopil. So, for those, we're trying to find a more comfortable uh, place to stay. Another way we are serving in this situation is that we have converted some of our building to be a bomb shelter. And so, when things get dangerous and there's bombings, and so we put a lot of chairs in the sports hall area that serves as our bomb shelter. There were two bombings today, and both times people fled to our bomb shelter. Normally, people are not open to hear the gospel, but now these people are ready to hear the gospel and we're able to share the word of God with them that will comfort them. And our brothers are taking turns guarding our facility through the nights. May God bless you, dear friends. That you, we thankful that you support us and that you're together with us in this very difficult time. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your letters. Thank you for your texts. Thank you for all these things you send us. This is a huge blessing to us. And we're glad that during this time we are one big family together. Thank you. May God bless you. Amen. Then uh, we're, we're going to hear next from another, another Vitali. We got a lot of Vitalis. And uh, there's a lot of Ivans too. And I was telling the folks at lunch today that what we heard, the reason why there's so many Vitalis and Ivans is that back in the old, old, old days long ago, when, uh, when a child was born and they would be christened into the uh, Orthodox Church, that the priest uh, would charge them for the christening and and uh, some of the names were, was a higher fee to be christened than others and uh, Vitali and Ivan were the cheapest names you could tag on your kid <laughs> you got to pay the priest less <laughs> but uh, anyway uh, next is Vitali and you know Vitali he's been here more than once he's a tall Ukrainian and he was on one of the videos in the morning 
And uh, he's going to answer an interesting question, and that is why he stayed, because uh, a lot of, lot of folks are leaving. Dear friends, brothers and sisters, we're grateful that you're praying for us and are concerned for us, and we treasure this. Thank you very much for this. This is now the eighth day of the war. As we hear many bombs exploding near us. Our cities are being bombed, but our soldiers are standing firm, and we're praying to God. Many ask me, why did I stay? It's hard to really answer that. But I, I think in these circumstances, Jesus would have stayed like us, because Jesus was where he was needed. And there's many people here who have yet to hear the gospel and are ready to hear the gospel. And so that's why we're here. Thank you once again. Thank you for your support, for your prayers, and everything that you're doing for us. your turn to ask your questions. <laughs> yes. The question is, uh, how is it going? Because in many of these cases that the families are being separated, the wife and children are going uh, to the West, the men are staying behind, and the question is, you know, how does, how does that work and how can we pray for that? And uh, that is absolutely something to pray for for our people. It looks like a, a lot of guy, our guys are young guys with young kids, and so... Um, Probably already three or four of them have, have, have sent their families very, very tearful, very tearful goodbyes. And uh, it's, not like they're, it's not like they're going, you know, on a trip, on a business trip or, or a mission trip 
with a group of Christians, they may never see one another again because the men are staying in a very difficult situation, very dangerous. And and it, it seems pretty clear that, and this is why we really need to pray, this could get a lot, lot worse. And uh, the they've uh, they don't ha- they 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 don't have a doubt that they need to do this you know they they want to put their their wife and their kids in a safe place and then go back and defend their land and protect their church building and and be with their countrymen be with their countrymen and uh i i don't know how to answer how how to do that i just know that we need to pray for them because that that just has to tear their hearts out and pray for us because we're going to be receiving them like that. Those little girls that sang that song this morning, they're going to come to our house. They're going to come to Indianapolis. And um, uh, how are we going to comfort them? I, I don't know. It was an interesting thing. And, you know, last, last week I was in my, last Wednesday, last Wednesday night in my, my own home church, we had a special prayer meeting. A record of number of people came out. And, and uh, there's a new family there. I don't know them that well. But the lady talked to me, and, and uh, she said, um, you know, I'm a professional therapist, and these people are going to need some, some therapy, and I'm a Christian. And I want you to know that I'm ready to help these people. And I'm thinking, it never even dawned on me that we'd need a therapist. I didn't, I, I didn't at that time, I didn't envision, you know. Although then the next day, all of a sudden, you know, VTech's on the border. Our guys are contacting VTech, and they, they're working on getting their, their families out. So God's got a plan. You know, he's, he, and I'm, I'm, I just don't know. I know we've got we to reach out. But God's going God's to provide. He's going to provide the words. He's going to provide the Christians that will put their arms around these people. He's going to provide the churches like this church that's going to help them. Because these are God's people. And he doesn't forsake his own. Because um, we were talking before the patriotism. When the fellows came to America, that's different for them than us. And yet now they're in the midst of this patriotism. Do you want to give a little bit of that? The the Ukrainians um, are are extremely patriotic. In in, uh, my father's book, there's a little section, and we quote a man, his name is... uh, uh, I think it's Dale Richmond, I believe. But he worked in the in Moscow for many, many, many years, and he wrote a book. It's been around a long time. It's called Understanding the Russians, and he's got a whole chapter in there, and it's understanding the Ukrainians. And in that in that chapter, he talk he says that the Ukrainians are the Tex, are the Texans of Russia. You know, the Texans, they, everything's better in Texas. Everything's bigger. Everything's this. And they got the fastest horses, the prettiest women. You know, they, get, they tell these tall tales. They got their guns and their cowboy hats and their boots. And, and uh, that's the Ukrainians. They got, they got their horsemen. They got their Cossacks. And they can tell tall stories. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're really proud of everything, everything Ukrainian. And they're especially proud of their boxers. Did you see about like 10 of their professional boxers are leaving their careers and going to fight? And uh, uh, so uh, we brought our... uh, uh, One of the times we had Ukrainians come here, we brought them to Texas, and we had them in some 
some churches in Texas, and they fit in with the Texans right away. <laughs> and uh, it was interesting that uh, Eager, uh, we were in, this, in one of the churches in Texas, and he runs up to me in the foyer. He says, Brother Tim, did you see that sign? Did you see that sign? I said, what sign? He shows me a sign in the church for it. It says, a gentleman, please leave your pistols in your trucks. You know? <laughs> he says, do they come with guns to church? I said, yeah, well, this is Texas. You know? and, uh, uh, but the, the, the Texas love them and, and the Ukrainians are, they have that, they have that particular national pride. And um, that's part of this, you know. Is part of this, and and uh, just uh, you know, they're they're not going to just uh, let the Russians come in without a fight. Yes. Yeah. The the this this is just developing. We. This week, maybe we'll get our first people across the border, and it'll take about two weeks before they can actually come to the United States. But the way the things have worked out, uh, one of our former uh, church planners, a Ukrainian fellow, uh, he's the one, I don't know, I might have mentioned it this morning, they had a daughter that was, uh, had cerebral palsy. And make a long story short, they had to immigrate America so she could get care. And uh, he originally spent many years in Poland. So here's, here's another Vitali. <laughs> uh, we call him Vitek just to keep all the Vitalis straight. But he is fluent in Polish, English, and Ukrainian. And right away he dropped everything. And he landed there in, in, the Polish, in Poland near the Ukrainian border in Krakow. And there is uh, a U.S. Uh, consulate there. And he, he, he hooked up with the U.S. consulate there. And they're going to use him right away. He's going to have a role in what our U.S. consulate is doing is getting people, receiving them into Poland and getting them to the United States. So pray for him because all of a sudden he's trying to, to rent a whole building because, you know, to put people as they get, to the, as they get to, out of central Ukraine and eastern Ukraine to, to, to him. And so they just they have to cross the border. And uh, so far, all I had to do is write a letter. And he says, well, write this letter. Just tell him that your mission agency has been working in this part of the world for many years and that you'll be willing to receive 50 families into, into America. <laughs> I don't know what all that means, but I wrote the letter, so he's using it now. And uh, we'll find out later what we got ourselves into. But uh, knowing VTech, it won't be small. It'll be a big deal. He'll, he'll, get, he'll get wheels moving. These expedite these people. We don't know yet because we don't know what the requirements are. But at a certain point, we might appeal to supporting churches and say that, you know, we 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 need some homes who are willing to receive some Ukrainian families. But it's just too early to tell right now. But America has made possible. Yeah, the United States has just recently, just I mean, very recently, uh, the president signed into law that the United States will accept. Any refugees out of Ukraine for on an emergency visa granted immediately for up to 18 months. That's really unusual because it's really hard. In in fact, uh, the, our consulate in uh, in Ukraine, the U.S. consulate, all the visas of, of Ukrainians coming to the United States, they have to approve them and process them and interview them. They turn down more than 90 percent of the applicants. More than 90 percent. 
And uh, now all of a sudden, boom, we'll take them all. <laughs> and uh, in the next few days, we'll be finding out what, what, some of the, what some of the procedures are. And at a certain point, there'll probably be some requirements, too. But uh, this is just happening now. Like I say, Wednesday, it didn't even dawn on me that we'd be doing this. And uh, all of a sudden, God has just uh, directed this. And, and I, I don't think it's an accident that VTech ended up there. And I don't think it's an accident that Losh is on the other side of the border there. And uh, at the same time, uh, our church planners in the most dangerous areas all of a sudden have this urge to get their families out of there. I think God, God just orchestrated all this. If the, um, if the Russians take over, what could those people, those churches expect? You were talking and sharing that Russia has a number of different laws, restrictions, what it used to be and what it is. Do you want to just, because some of our folk haven't heard some of this history, yeah. but kind of where it was and where it's developed and what yeah. the potential is. Well, in... in uh, the Soviet times, there was no religious freedom. You know, you were, you were underground. And then the, then the Iron Curtain uh, came down, and all of a sudden, overnight, there was more freedom, more religious freedom in Russia than there was in America. I mean, it was just overnight. But uh, uh, several years ago, I forgot what year, but it was, it was on all the news. Christianity Today had a big article about it that Russia was cracking down on Christianity again. And they passed a whole new... Uh, array of laws that uh, especially restricted foreigners and uh, uh, so all, all, basically all the Americans had to leave the national churches like our churches they're continuing and they they somehow manage the restrictions are there like for example you have to have a permit to have a public meeting not all of our guys. Our guys in the St. Petersburg area, they don't have that great of a relationship with the police that are harassing them. But in Moscow, they have a really good relationship, and they, they allow them these liberties to pass out tracts. You have to have a permit. You have to have a special stamp with a number on it on every, on every track. And so they've got all these rules, but they're managing, you know, with these rules. The rules that they enacted in this new legislation is nowhere near the 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 difficulty that Christians had starting in 1961. It was 1961 where they passed a whole slew of really draconian laws on the church. You could not uh, have children in the services. No children in the services. You could not, if you wanted people baptized, you had to have them approved. You had to give the list of baptismal candidates to the uh, KGB chief in the area, and he had to approve that. Can you imagine that? Uh, and they said that nobody under the age of 33 could be baptized because in your Bibles, Jesus wasn't baptized until he was 33. And it was, it was a lot of rules like that. that when the Christians read this, they said, at this point, we have to obey God rather than Caesar. We're not going to keep our children from hearing the Word of God. We can't do that. And so that's when the underground movement was born. Before then, it was just one big group of Baptists. But when... Those laws came down in 1961, a huge, huge amount of this underground, of, of those churches split off and, and became, went underground. And uh, when we say underground church, uh, that term really signifies that they're illegal. 
It, a lot of times people hear the word underground, they think that that means secret, you know. And, and the secret part was their underground press. The secret part was children's ministry. If you got, if you got caught, you know, teaching the Bible to children was immediate prison. And, uh, but the services, when you're meeting a couple hundred people anywhere in the woods, or anything, you know, it's kind of hard to keep that totally hidden. And so these, these were underground churches, yes, but underground in the sense of illegal, so the authorities knew about them. They would change their location quite frequently because uh, they, would, they would be harassed and they would be brutally broken up in their meetings, and, and often some of them would, would be arrested. And uh, that's what we're It was such a difficult time. And uh, I remember, you know, we, we were able to travel on a tourist visa, break away from the tour group, and visit during those difficult times. It was so difficult. You'd, you'd be in a church. And, and there's, there's uh, some of their members are in prison. And they really took very seriously the, the text in Hebrews 13.3 where it says, Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. That was a portion of Scripture that just struck their hearts. And, and because their brothers were in prison. And so they, they, they felt a strong, strong sense of responsibility to hold them up before the Lord in prayer. But the problem was, yes, they're underground, but they're not hidden. And there would be KGB, very typical, very common to have KGB agents in the service monitoring it. And uh, they, certain things they'd overlook. But if somebody would say and pray... You know, so-and-so's in jail because he was arrested for preaching the gospel. They did not like that. That's slandering the Soviet Union. You know that in our country there's, there's total freedom of religion. You know, you're slandering the Soviet Union. So, so uh, you'd be in a service. And uh, this is what happened. And what's behind this is that, you know, as, as they were sent to prison and sent to prison just for praying... Uh, one of the, one of the, I don't know who, but somebody came up with this reasoning, and it circulated through the underground churches. It said, you know, in Russia, in the Soviet Union, we are like Daniel in the lion's den. We're in the lion's den, and it's God's will. He 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 allowed Daniel to be in the den with lions, and God allowed us to be in the Soviet Union as Christians. And we read in our Bibles and we see how God was with Daniel. But what we don't see, we don't see God telling or Daniel deciding to pull the lion's tail. So, let's not pull the lion's tail. Yes, we need to pray. But let's pray in such a manner that we don't pull the lion's tail. And so they would pray like this. Instead of... They would pray, Dear Heavenly Father, please be with Michael Horov. Because we don't know where he is. Hmm. And, they, and, and when somebody prayed for somebody by name like that, there were, I mean, people were, were, were intensely involved in prayer. They were all joining together to uphold that brother in prayer. And they were praying that way so they wouldn't pull the lion's tail because they'd, they'd be hauled off. And they'd be in prison for slandering the Soviet Union. But despite that, every once in a while, every once in a while, 
Somebody just couldn't do that anymore. And they'd get up with trembling knees, white faces, and they'd say, Lord, tonight, be with Michael Horeb. He's in prison today for the sake of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when somebody prayed like that, there's a hush over the whole congregation because they knew that brother was going to be in jail that night for years. And, and now when we see what Putin is doing, you know, he, right now he passed a law that you cannot say war. It's a special operation. Journalists are fleeing the country. A lot of Russians are leaving because they can see, you know, it wasn't great when they cracked down recently. It made it harder. But it wasn't like it was back in the old days. And what, what could be on the horizon is a reversion to the old Stalinist type tactics on the Christians. Because that's pretty heavy handed when, when you, uh, you make it illegal for journalists to just, you know, they can only, only report the news that's given to them by the government. So uh, that's, uh, that's really sobering. And it's, it's, it's not just, you know, with, with what's going on, it's not just the Ukrainian people that are suffering. But suffering may very well be ahead for the entire Russian population. Because if, if Putin succeeds in clamping down and reverting, and, and there is, you know, a closed economic system, and going back to, the, to that era, millions are going to suffer. And uh, Currently, can the kids go to, can they have, under the, where they're at in Russia now, can they do children's ministries? Yeah, yeah, they, that, right now, that's, that's not illegal. Can they do baptisms of people yeah, under 33? Yeah, yeah they, 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 that, that's not a problem now. But in the old days, it, you couldn't do that. Can it? they have you preach? No. No, I was there in December, and it was illegal for me to preach. So I told our brothers, it probably wouldn't be a good idea to preach. They said, no, you're going to preach. I said, well, what if somebody's there that you didn't know was going to be there, and... and uh, They'll just deport me on the spot, but you, you'll, have, you'll face some heavy fines, they said. We're, we've been there before. And so they wouldn't hear of it. They had me preach. Why is it um, illegal for you to preach there? Because they passed, passed a law. Because the law that was on the news here, the new laws against the, the new laws that curtail religious freedom, it was a big story in our Western press. It was, it was a few years ago. They were mainly directed at foreigners. And it was influenced by the Orthodox Church that was tired of all these foreigners coming and doing missionary work. And they looked at that as they were polluting and they were proselyting and that this was an awful thing that, that every Russian has to be Orthodox. And so there, they, they, the brunt of those restrictive legislation went on foreigners and activity of foreigners. So how does that, for anybody here unfamiliar with BIEM, mm -hmm. what do you do to help out like in Russia? right now currently you couldn't go and preach but what can and what are you doing we get funds to them we share their stories and we we're a link because a lot of a lot of people in america they want to do mission work in in russia and many people have concluded like we had long time ago that the most the most effective work is done by trained national reaching their own people of their own culture their own language they know them you know, it's, it's, it's much more effective than, uh, 
than trying to put somebody in such a different situation across culturally. They stand out. And, and yeah, they, yeah, they can establish churches, but they're, they're not the kind of churches that the normal Russian would feel comfortable in. And so um, they can't come to the United States and raise support. But there's people all over America who want to support Russian church planters, and that's where we come in. We're a link. We're a link between American Christians who want to do missions work in Russia, because the Bible says go into all the world, and the nationals. They don't know the language, so we're translating their reports, we're communicating, we're transferring funds, we're encouraging them, we're having classes, we're providing different things for them that, that strengthen and encourage them. And one of the best things that we ever did is when we started bring some of our nationals here and get them in the churches and people would hear firsthand, would feel our heart. And, 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 uh, but that's, that's our role. That's our role. We, we're planning churches by supporting, training, and equipping nationals. How many and, people are we working together with you to do that? How many works are in Russia, let's say? Well, probably a, maybe a dozen. And uh, probably we have maybe, in all the countries we're out, probably about 70 around 70 nationals you know, at, at this time. And uh, it's been, been remarkably, remarkably effective. And uh, in the old days, we, it was just radio. <laughs> Simple then. You'd make these broadcasts. My dad and I would, would make a recording and we'd send out. Oh, those were the easy days. You know? But then all of a sudden, God tr- changed things up. And, but because we were doing radio, we decided to go and make trips there and sh- rub shoulders with the people. We, we developed relationships with a lot of those pastors. And they'd hear my dad's voice on the radio. And they, and they, they knew us because of that. And so when the Iron Curtain came down, we were in a perfect position. We were ideally placed to all of a sudden just, just shift into planting churches by, by working with these people. And uh, I, 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 I know that we're all burdened for Ukraine, but the Russian people are going to suffer too. And the Russian Christians, they're in, in danger of a reversion back to the old systems, which, which really single out Christians. Um. I meant, I alluded to just a little bit ago. Um, we put all these flags. How did the Ukrainians, when oh, they came in, yeah. and they saw, like, the flag in our yeah. church? They, every Russian, every Ukrainian we ever brought to an American church, that's the first thing they notice. They can't believe that our government flag is number one in the church. That it's in the church. And that it's so close to the pulpit. <laughs> they just, you know, they're blown away. Like, What? Because yeah, in, in their history, the, they never got anything good from the, gov- from the government. The government was just persecuting them and putting them in prison and beating them and, and fining them. And, and then all of a sudden you go to church and there's the flag. You know, I was like, what? They couldn't, couldn't uh, understand. So uh, the other interesting thing, too, is like our military guys, like Eager, he was here. He's the one who, who uh, you remember his testimony, he was a criminal. And... Uh, it, we, it was really, we couldn't get a visa because he had this long criminal record. And to get a visa for him to come to America, we tried and tried and then we gave up. And then one day, somehow, he, he got, came in contact with a general who really had a, an unusual relationship with a prosecutor. And uh, he found out, you know, Eager told him about this problem. He can't get a visa to America because of his criminal record. Well, in Ukraine, there's a saying that, um, that uh, 
that in our country, nothing is permitted, but everything is possible. And uh, the possibility was just providing a gift of an iPhone. And, uh, and then mysteriously, this criminal record was expunged. And uh, the reason why Eager was here in your church is, is and I, I believe God, God did that because, I don't know if you remember his testimony, but it just, it just touches your heart. Let's, yeah. uh, let's share a little bit. Uh, going back, um, meeting in the woods, first-time visitor. Oh, yeah. One of our guys, his name was Volodya, and he was, he was a, a young criminal, a juvenile delinquent in trouble all the time, in trouble with the police, in trouble in school, in trouble fighting, fighting, and, and, and doing crimes. And, and, but there was a Christian that kept inviting him to church. And he'd always say no, and the Christian kept inviting him. And uh, one day, and Volodya, he's really, really rough, but he has a really good nature. You know what I mean? There, there are some people that are really as rough as can be, but they're really good-natured. And he's that way. And so, you know, he, uh, one day he thought, you know, uh, he, he keeps, I'll, I'll go one time. And then when he asks me the next time, I'll tell him I went and I didn't like it. So he, he says, okay, I'll go. So he goes. And so this Christian takes him, and this is a service in the woods. It's an, un, it's an un, un, unregistered church service. Just so happened that that service was one that the police came to break up. And when they break up a meeting, it was brutal. They bring in dogs. They come with clubs. They beat people. They, they pick out the leaders. They throw them in the paddy wagons, and they bring them to the police station and book them. And, and It's a horrible thing to behold. And Volodya was 17. He looked old for his age, and he was a really impressive-looking macho man type of figure. You know? And uh, they thought he was one of the leaders. So there he is, his first time in church, and they arrested him for being a leader, threw him in the paddy wagon. <laughs> and, and there he is riding in this paddy wagon on the church. And he's thinking. And here's what he thought. All his life he'd been told, warned about these Baptists. And they always told him that they're a bunch of old ladies. They, they're all, all, they're, all they have is old wise tables. This is for the weak-minded idiot people. Bunch of old women that just believe in fables. Well, when he went to that service, there's a lot of young people there. There are some older people, but a lot of young people. And so, and, and by that time, he had grown to respect the Christians he had known. And here and there, he had rubbed shoulders with Christians, and he, he knew them to be good people. So he's sitting in the paddy wagon going to the police station, and what's going on in his mind? He's thinking, um, this, if all this is, it's just a bunch of nonsense. If it's just a bunch of old wives' tales, why would our government be handling them this way? There must be, they must be a threat to the government. They must be a threat to the police. He didn't like the police. <laughs> you know, right away, he's on their side. You know? The police are so brutal there. And, uh, you know, he's thinking, this is not right what they're doing. These are good people. And by, by the time that he got to the police station, in his heart, he was firmly on the side of the believers and against the police. <laughs> in, his, in his heart. And so... They're processing him, and he, he's called in, and he has to appear before the, the chief uh, KGB officer of that police station. And so he began to curse him out and say, you know, you, 
idiot. You, here you are, you, you're young. You know, you're, you're receiving the best scientific atheistic education in the world in our Moscow school system. And here you are in the woods meeting with a bunch of idiot ladies. You know, what is the matter with you? And he says, you know, because you're 17, I can't do anything to you. If you were 18, I'd put you in prison right away. Because you're 17, the most I can do is find your dad a month's salary, and I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to have to release you. But I want to know one thing. I want to know, when, we, you, when you leave this police station, have you learned your lesson, or are you going to continue to preach the Bible? He's, he decided right there. He said, yes, I'm going to keep preaching the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> And it was a serious decision on his part. And he, he leaves the police station. He, he, the way he tells the story is amazing. He's, he's I walk out in the, in the cold winter air. And then the, when that, that coldness hit me, all of a sudden I, I stood up straight and I realized something. I'm, if I'm going to preach the Bible, i got to get saved. <laughs> so, so he had his friend take him to the pastor and well, he got saved that night. And you know, God used him to plant four churches. And the way, he, the way he tells the story, he says, That night, in the middle of Moscow, a cold, dreary night, a KGB officer held a revival meeting. There were two decisions, <laughs> one for salvation and one a call to preach. <laughs> and you know, that story's been told on Unshackled worldwide. You know, it's, it's just amazing, you know, how, how God works. So it's not an impossible situation. No. The Lord can use it. Amen. Right? Amen. Sam. Amen. All right. Thanks Thank for being that. here today. Thank you. Glad he was here. Helps us to get a better perspective. If you fellows would head back to that table. Hey, by the way, on your way, how did they tell which who were believers in these meetings, like in the woods, and what was the well, what was the test? Well, they had various tactics because when they'd go to the woods to break up a meeting, everybody's scattering, and so they they want to arrest people. And they don't know who's a Christian or not. So they'd grab a person. They said, okay, we want to hear you curse. You know, we want to hear some swearing. <laughs> and the person cursed. Then they let him go. But, but, but if he wouldn't curse and especially take the Lord's name in vain, then he, they lock him up. He's obviously a believer. You know? And, and they, they had their methods. But they know. They know that the, yeah. Christ, the Christians the would Christians, live. The Christians, they're respected. They, they knew the Christians were were sincere people. They wouldn't smoke. They wouldn't steal. They wouldn't lie. And, and they definitely wouldn't curse. So they, they use that as one of their tactics. Interesting. Does our testimony make a difference? Absolutely. Absolutely. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we had this evening without opening up the Word, but to hear how you're working is sweet firsthand. Thank you the way you worked in the past, in lives. And so we pray that what we just heard this story about this criminal not even being born again, but through being arrested in trial, he gets saved, goes out, plants churches. Lord, we're going to ask that you do that same thing in the midst of the trials for the Ukrainians, that you would reverse what is meant for evil and bring some good out of it. Help us, Lord, to remember to uphold brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us this week to be faithful, to be careful about our testimony with those we run into. And by your grace, use us. Bless these folk. Thank you so much for their interest in missions. Bless their endeavors this week as they pray, as they give, as they seek to share the gospel with their friends 
And Father, help us to be faithful to Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen? Thanks for being here. God bless. We'll see you Wednesday for Bible studies.